0: What should you do if your self-funded plans look like a bag of parts rather than a well-oiled machine? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers.
1: Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman.
0: On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're talking to a shock sub-Romanian. He is the founder and CEO at Sentivo. Now, we've had a lot of discussion about partially self-funded plans, especially those that reach into some of the mid mid-sized groups and maybe even, for some of you, some of the smaller groups. And we've had those conversations because there's obviously a lot of interest as a solution for employer clients. The challenge, and this goes all the way back to 15 years ago when I was running a TPA is that if you're not careful, what you deliver is a bag of parts, not a complete solution. And you don't want to do that, especially today, because unlike all those years ago, today, user experience is everything. If the users don't have a good experience, they don't care how great the plan is. They're not going to use it. And they're not going to use the consumer tools that you give them. And that's not a good thing and Ashok studies this and that's what his company does and so we invited him on to talk a little bit about all of those things that are happening in the industry and with that welcome thank you David it's good to be with you hi ah, it's it's our pleasure so let's talk about at the beginning you know what's missing in traditional partially self-funded plans i mean it, you make the sale oftentimes to the c suite and you make it on a financing arrangement basis and you know data and other things trickle in but when the rubber meets the road, that's where the the employees need to use the plan. What's not there in traditional plans that they're hungering for?
2: yeah david, it's a it's a great question. You know I, I think a lot of times we all forget that with employers in America being in the business of health plan administration, health plan administration has as much to do with the financials and the human resource administration of the plan as it has to do with employee attraction and retention. And so a big part of what we see in the market is folks who are trying to take the piece parts of what a bundled carrier might do and be able to save a couple bucks through cheaper administration, cheaper stop loss, cheaper pharmacy programs. But when you put those piece parts back together, it's awfully kludgy for the average person to use. And so there is an opportunity For employers and for players in the market to say, how do we step back and really think about this designing from a lens of your mom, my mom, you know, what a user would actually want in their health plan, while at the same time getting those efficiencies from thinking about those components or piece parts of the solution in the right way.
0: So what is the first thing that they're looking for? If there was one thing that always came to the top of the list, what would that be?
2: So what we find a lot of is the actual healthcare experience. So folks are starting to get more sensitive to and starting to understand in much more detail that as good as a thick network of doctors might feel at the time of enrollment— It's kind of useless if you can't actually get into that doctor. It's kind of useless if you don't, if you have a doctor that you're seeing for five minutes and you're being referred out the door right after that. So a huge part of user experience on the plan side, in addition to paying the claims and answering the phone calls and helping navigation of members to the right sources of care is increasingly on, can we front end the plan? with the types of providers who actually are organized and can deliver a better user experience, meaning things like, I can get into the doctor, I can have a conversation with the doctor, these are people who know me and care about me, and oh, by the way, these are folks who are going to help me as the employer— manage my cost because they're not simply looking to get them out of the door. They're actually looking to help manage care. So a big part of user experience on the health plan side is increasingly becoming less about the payment of claims and the administrative processing and far more the integration points around the usage of the healthcare system itself.
0: Well, I mean, it's gotten to the point, hasn't it, where paying claims and network admin and all that stuff is really table stakes. You can't play it all if you don't have those things. Isn't that kind of like the ante? It's both
2: table stakes, and let's be blunt about it, a commodity. So there's not a lot of juice that comes from my auto adjudication rate is lower than yours, or you know, I have an algorithm to help detect claim payment and fraud, waste, and abuse. Those are Important things and plans that don't have those things need to work with advisors and partners that do those things. But to your point, those are table stakes. The next generation, the next level is really driving much more into innovation and seamlessness around the actual access and provision of health care, not just the administration of the health
0: plan. And I mean, with that in mind, one of the things that employees always get zorched about is disruption. And you mentioned networks a little while ago. Do most of the folks you work with work with skinny networks or narrow networks or directed networks or bundled price networks? Or are they still renting some of the big networks from some of the big bukas?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple pieces to that, David. It's a really important question. So one of the things that we've learned over the years in this industry is that employers are in a tough situation they were given, due to a historical artifact, the responsibility of offering health care to their employees and their families. However, employees and their families are incredibly diverse, diverse in age, diverse in geography, split families, families with kids away at college and dependents up to the age of 26. So it is very hard for an employer to deliver a monolithic solution to what is by definition a heterogeneous and an increasingly diverse group of associates and family members in any employer population. So to that end, what we see, David, is the most optimized plans are introducing tailored networks, narrow networks, using reference-based pricing and other types of approaches to be able to get the efficiency and the value, but doing so in a way that doesn't avoid the opportunity or restrict the opportunity for those employees who need something different to have that available as an option, whether it's a broad network, whether it's the ability to go to providers of their choice. It's really important to be able to deliver solutions that, yes, are structured around taking the cost and inefficiency out of the system, but do so in a way that doesn't limit human resources ability to attract and retain talent, because ultimately that is the most important objective of a benefits program.
0: You've got a lot of experience with this. Does that kind of an approach work in rural areas? I know if you're near a a big urban center, being able to skinny down a network or do those kinds of things is maybe easier because you have more to work with what do you do for folks i mean a lot of the united states population i'm up here in new england and a lot of the folks that we work with are in smaller out-of-the-way places can you still cobble together those kinds of networks or put together those kind of networks in those locales you you can and
2: and david i think it's it's a good highlight on there are multiple ways to think of network construction So one, I think the common approach is basically to say, let's kick out hospitals, let's kick out health systems, let's get better efficiency that way. To your point, that is more effectively done where there is provider competition, the landscape supports that, and that might be more in metropolitan areas. However, in markets like you describe, there are other ways to control the provider supply chain, even if there's one hospital in town. Two examples. The first is working much more closely with either local primary care, using on-site, near-site type capabilities to be able to make sure that as much care as possible is going to more efficient, more aligned Both financially and clinically, groups with that employer. So there's ways to take the stack of where claims goes and be prescriptive and be more curated and predictive in parts of it, understanding that there might only be one hospital in town for those episodes of care that actually require a hospital.
1: And now a word from our sponsor: it's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at Shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at Shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshapersstrategies.com. And now, back to our discussion.
0: Now, one of the things that I think was interesting in in the conversations that we had offline is that you're kind of hearkening back to an, what a lot of people, maybe outside of California, and if that Southern California, would think is kind of an older model. You're having folks select primary care docs and, and work on what loosely I'll call an older HMO kind of a chassis in terms of how the plan works. Is How's that working?
2: Yeah, so it's a really important point because... What we've seen over the years, and this is supported by lots of data going back 50 years and seminal academic studies done by esteemed researchers, Professor Alan Entoven and others, is that primary care-centered models work to control cost period, full stop, end of story. Whether it's integrated delivery systems like Intermountain Healthcare and Geisinger, whether it's organizations such as Kaiser that have taken that clinical approach and driven it into a very successful insurance business, as well as those who've done it more locally and more uh, on their own, those models work to control cost and those models drive high NPS scores when it comes to quality. So, that is where you start from. So, when we've stepped back and thought about how do you bring that to the 21st century and really rifle shot what were those sources of dissatisfaction, it comes down to two or three things that can be solved by technology. The first one is it is annoying that if I know I need to see a certain specialist or I feel like I need to see a certain specialist. That I can't go see that specialist without getting an appointment physically with my primary care physician. That's going to be a few weeks out. I then have to wait. I then have to go in and I have to pay a copay. And finally, then at that point, I know 95% of the time I'm going to get that referral that I need. Well, voila, in the year 2020, and by removing the financial barrier from primary care, that can be done through a phone call, a virtual visit, a text message, an in app message instantaneously. So the ability to take out the time, space, and the inconvenience of a referral-based plan has been removed through technology. I think the other piece of that is primary care then not only can be a resource, a partner to help that person be that intake valve into the rest of the healthcare system, those downstream referrals can then be done in a way that's guided actually based on data we can help those providers and give them information on who's practicing appropriate care, who's achieving high quality care, who's not immediately moving to surgery when more conservative approaches of care will do. Those are things that are impossible messages to get to individual people, individual consumers of health care. Those are much more possible to have a positive effect if we're using the trusted relationship between doctor and patient to be that fulcrum, to be that chassis by which individuals are getting that advice.
0: What are some of the other things that you find that you need to focus on in order to deliver a great user experience to patients, to end users, employees, call them what you will?
2: Yeah, so we really look to collectively focus. And these are things that, again, other high NPS score entities have done. So the first is removing friction from the experience. Examples like how do you work far more closely with providers so those gaps between the health plan and the provider, I won't say can be eliminated or removed, but can be streamlined. Examples, letting providers know who in it ad- well in advance who has actually assigned a PCP for themselves. So those practices are aware, they can start to do reach outs, they can start to prepare for new patients, making sure that data, there's data that health plans and third-party administrators have that clinicians would love, and vice versa. There's clinical data that clinicians Uh, Have That would be so effective from a health plan engagement perspective. So when you work more closely with partners by not trying to be all things to all people, you can deliver a better user experience by really optimizing on a simple set of things that matter to members. Do you know who I am? Can I get in to see the doctor? When I show up, is a lot of my information already pre populated because you know this about me? And if I need to go downstream, can I work with a set of providers who are going to help me make sure that I will get into good doctors? I'll get in in a timely fashion and I will be seeing people who data and analytics support are practicing good quality, appropriate care as opposed to just picking someone out of the book based on alphabetical order or looking at a score on Yelp. Because unfortunately, that's how most Americans shop today, and it's deeply ineffective.
0: Absolutely, and it leads to a lot of employee dissatisfaction. So we, we've talked about primary care, and we've talked a little bit about med surge or or facilities charges. What we haven't talked about yet is what we can do to help employees deal with that humongous cost driver and that murky area that is pharmacy. How do you deal with, A, the pharmacy Plans writ large and then be with providing formularies that aren't restrictive?
2: Yeah, no, it, it's a timely question. The political landscape clearly has identified pharmacy as a big ticket item that's palpable to the average working American. People deal with it every day because they go to the drugstore, they see these costs. And you also see it in the fact that the large health plans, effectively all of them, now either are owned by or own or have incubated large PBMs as core parts of their business. So there is no separation of the profit motive around that pharmaceutical piece. To me and to what we've seen, absolute table stakes is that clinical guidance needs to be the driver, not economics, of how formularies are built So finding partners, working with organizations whose formularies are built on the simple principle of lowest net cost, highest clinical efficacy, without the manufacturer rebate being the primary driver of drug placement, that is the the main way that we can help bring affordability and not have unnecessarily high-cost drugs that have no clinical impact be prescribed only because there's a large manufacturer rebate attached to it. So that's the first piece and a major building block. The second piece is we can't lose sight of the fact that often our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses— and the greatest strength of America is we have such a focus on R and D and the ability to cure diseases and to extend length and quality of life due to the wonderful scientists and researchers in our pharmaceutical industry that have, that are doing amazing things in areas of like cystic fibrosis and gene therapy and cell therapy. It is a wonderful thing that we have that innovation capability. It's also extraordinarily expensive and employers writ large are completely blinded to the potential costs coming down the horizon of those types of programs. So working together, again, with organizations, with partners, with advisors for whom specialty drug cost is on their radar screen and using different programs that are available, drug pricing programs, pooling programs, manufacturer programs, to make sure that we can maintain access, that we never have to look a child in the eye or a parent in the eye and say that a drug was withheld that could have extended length or quality of life, but to do so in a way that's fiscally sustainable and responsible, that needs to be on the agenda of every plan sponsor and every advisor in this business.
0: Absolutely. So we've got a couple of minutes left. One of the things that we always ask about is what kind of communication do you need to have so that you drive engagement with employees? What are you finding is working and what's not working?
2: Yeah. So, David, it's a critical question, and it also harkens back to the past when 20, 30, 40 years ago, they were done physically, and now they're virtually. But the notion of a benefit fair, of national PPO plans, HMO plans, traditional insurers, back in the day when companies who today's generation didn't even know were in health insurance, like Travelers and Prudential and so on, there were active efforts to help members understand the value proposition of different programs. We can do that now through virtual means, but it's the same type of effort For too long now, we've simply assumed that the buyer is the employer and employees are simply takers of what those employers decide for them. We've shown over the last 15 years that that can change. Employees and you don't have to be a doctor, a nurse, an actuary, or an insurance underwriter. The average employee can make good decisions for their family if given choices, if given information, and if given support to make those choices. And ultimately they come down to a few simple things. How much is it going to cost me out of my paycheck? How much will it cost me if and when I have to use that healthcare system for low util- utilization episodes, as well as those more serious, God forbid moments? And what is the breadth and depth, and what are my options when it comes to the providers that I have access to? If those three questions are answered and framed in simple language, accessible to the normal person, people make good decisions, and we see year-over-year satisfaction rates and retention rates that are very high, even if it's something other than a traditional broad PPO network.
0: And that's a great place to end our conversation for today. Ashok Subramanian, founder and CEO at Centivo. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the audience. I think it's been a very valuable conversation.
2: Thank you, David. Appreciate the time and appreciate the attention that you're putting on these ever important issues in the healthcare system.
1: The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission.